Welcome to episode 267 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast of Many Topics. I'm Mike Solosi, and we're back for another episode within Supergiant Games Month at Retro Encounter. Transistor is the subject, and the first panelist is Eva Padilla. Hello. And the second panelist is Alana Hagues. Hey, everyone. And I definitely finish in third today. But, uh, Transistor. This is a 2014 game by... Supergiant Games. Uh, it, it has a no clip documentary about it, like we mentioned in the previous <laughs> in the previous episode on Bastion. And I, I played this game for the first time pretty soon after it came out, and uh, and and I think this might be a common refrain because I, I remember talking to it about uh, about excuse me, I remember talking to Rob Steinman about this five years ago or something. I sort of had difficulty connecting with it and couldn't get into it, but. Tried again earlier this year. It was on a sale. I played it in April or May, and then really, really liked it. And was, and I'm happy to revisit it for the podcast. So, uh, did either of you have a similar, have a similar experience? I'm um, starting with you, Alana. Uh, what were your, uh, when, what's your background with Transistor, and what were your early impressions of it? Um, yeah, I actually have a similar background to you. So I picked it up on PS Plus back in. I think 2015 or 16, it was on PlayStation Plus for one month. And so I downloaded it because every everything about this game should have appealed to me. And I played it for 20 minutes and dropped off of it for some reason. I don't know why. And that kind of put me on, like, I've, I think I said on the Bastion episode, like, Supergiant have always been a studio that have really interested me. And then, like, not clicking with Transistor. It was like a blocker had come up and I was like, well, great. These are games that I'm supposed to admire, but never love. And so I didn't come back to it until now. And um, I'm happy to report I was wrong. <laughs> uh, Transistor is fabulous. I fell in love with it very quickly and had a very, very visceral emotional connection to it very quickly. Um, so, yeah, I'm delighted I've managed to get my way through it this time. I've still got like hiccups with it, but like... Yeah, it's a it's a it's a step up from Bastion for me. All right, interesting. And uh, Eva, I think um, y- you played Transistor before this year, right? Uh, what um, what what's your background and feelings on it and early impressions? Yeah, um, so I did play it pretty recently. It was at like the end of twenty nineteen, I think it was, and um, I'd known about this game shortly since shortly after it came out. Um, I had a friend. I had multiple friends who when it came out said you have to play this game like this is definitely something you're gonna love and so i said okay i'll uh pick it up on steam so i did and didn't play it for four years <laughs> and um i i never even touched it and then um i saw it on a on a sale on switch and picked it up and as soon as i played it it was like this is one of this is one of my favorite video game experiences I've had. I adore. Oh my! Every I really I, I really loved it. Um, and happy to report that I did another playthrough, um, just you know a few days before recording this, and uh, I was planning to just you know dip my toes in, not really get too deep into it, um, but boy did I! And I just did a whole another playthrough with it. And I thought it was fantastic, even better than the first time. 
All right. Now, um, I want to revisit something. Uh, I had a very similar experience to Alana. Um, I got this game shortly after it came out uh, on Steam because I loved Bastion so much and I and I wanted to support them and this game looks super cool. But I played it for, I don't know exactly how long, definitely less than an hour before uh, before dropping it and not revisiting it until earlier this year. But I, I think I have a theory on why that's a bit of a recurring story. Like, oh, I I didn't quite connect with the beginning of Transistor. Um, and I think it probably because the gameplay is not as immediate as Bastion and, and not really, and, and not really immediate in general because I, I mean, I mean, you have a stamina meter and, and, and you can't just simply mash an attack and, and have it and, and like do that endlessly. So be, because of that, like just the act of walking up to enemies and, Trying to whack them over and over, which you can do in, you know, 95% of action games, doesn't exactly work. Like, this game wants you to be more deliberate and make more choices in, even in the, just the moment to moment action. And I, and I think that's not, because of that lack of immediacy, uh, it, it's, it, there's a, a bit of a steeper learning curve with this game than Bastion or similar action games, or just a lot of, and, or isometric action RPGs. And for that, I think that, I think that 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 early barrier is part of why people don't connect to it as easily. Am I am am I blowing smoke, or is this is there some merit to that idea? I would agree. Um, I was wondering if like it's like all of these are kind of isometric, top down, but this feels Mm. like the camera angle is a lot closer to something like Diablo, whereas um, Bastions is a little bit closer. but yeah, like I mean, my immediate thought was going into combat, and also you only start with one attack, don't you? Um, I think so you start. Don't you, I think you start with two. Don't you start with the the, the, the the one close range, and uh, you start with crash and breach, or is it just crash? Do yeah, it might be both, or you might yeah, you might get breached like very quickly. Um, right. Okay. But yeah, um, it, it's definitely it did feel like a bit of a steep learning curve for me, and you very you do get like most of your tools pretty quickly, apart from all of the. Um, Oh god, all of the attacks, I can't remember the exact name. Um functions? Functions, yeah. Um mm-hmm. But yeah, certainly the turn system. Um like I was so used to looking at it like it was a top-down action game that I kept forgetting early on. Hang on a minute, I can use what the turn system, which is essentially what it turns it into like a top-down strategy slash like you can plan all your moves ahead of time and I kept forgetting you could do that early on. So yeah, I I the combat was the blocker for me four years ago and it's probably the thing i have the most problems with overall but we'll get into that as we go along i think yeah yeah i i think i want to say i had a couple really stupid deaths like i just tried to whack something to death and then i was out of meter and kind of and then straggling and then had and then i died in an an early encounter and i'm like well i don't like this game anymore um (laughs) but but if you sort of understand that uh they want you to use functions chained together almost like you're writing a computer program or uh, yeah. or, or balancing an equation or something but like, like once they figure once you figure out that combat is supposed to be deliberate and uh and and, and sort of get your head you wrap your head around the function system i think it's I, I think it's it, like after that it's all downhill and the game just becomes really fun but uh eva you probably um just are smarter than alana and i and uh and 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 figured this out much more quickly well no you know once it really luckily you know it's a short game and so it's not like 
I was 40 hours in and then I figured out how to turn. Right. Um, <laughs> but um, it's when once you kind of it clicks with you that this is sort of this spontaneous XCOM sort of affair. I really uh, love that part of it. It reminded me of when we were just talking about this. It reminded me of that scene in The Incredibles when Mr. Incredible is fighting the um, like one of the, the the robots and throws out his back. And then the robot's like stretching him out. And then it actually sets his back into place. And he starts right. laughing yeah. and just takes it apart. And that's what it felt like when I was playing this game. I was like, gosh, I'm really struggling with this. This is, why am I struggling so much with this? And then once I really got the turn, it was like, yep, just set my back into place. Now this is amazing. <laughs> and that's, uh, it, it was pretty much just that from then on with it and just how it works thematically. Um, I think it's, I, I love how that all works together. Yeah, the, right, yeah. That's his fight against the second to last version of the robot on no Man, on his first visit to, to No Man is an Island. And yes, yeah, yeah. The the name of the island is No Manazan Island. It's it's. I I love the Incredibles. Anyway, um, I'm I'm a bit of a Pixar junkie slash scholar in general. But uh, um, I want to jump in actually uh, Mm, to something for Eva, and also go back to NoClip because um, there's a fairly lengthy discussion about the combat in the NoClip documentary on Transistor. Um, it was probably easy the thing, or easily the thing that the team had the most difficulty with because. They were playing around with the function system and they, so uh, correct me, how, there's 16 functions and you can mix and match them between different slots. I know we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. Um, no, no well, well, let, let's do it. Um, there's, uh, I'm not sure how many functions there are. 16 sounds right, but their slots can be active, upgrade, or passive. Mm-hmm. And so every function, uh, when you put it in an active slot, it's an ability. When you put it in the passive slot, you get some kind of passive bonus. That's yeah. sort of connected to the active slot. And its upgrade slot is um, you attach it to a different function in, in a different active slot, and it gives um, properties to that other function. So you, you get a bunch of these, but they can be equipped in different ways. Uh, and whenever you level up, you can choose between one of two new functions or open up another slot or increase your uh, increase some base stats, I think. Maybe, uh, like, I think... Uh, is that right? Like, I think I think one of them is like increasing meter meter size. So I there, so, yeah. so so there is uh, there is choice and customization with every level up and every new tool that you get in your toolbox. And it uh, it's conceptually it's awesome. I, I think again it's a little bit less straightforward than Bastion. So I, it took me at least some time to get my head around it. I, I, again, I, this isn't a criticism, but uh, Transistor has a learning curve that you need to sort of master before it feels right. Definitely. Yeah. Like 16 functions is quite a lot when you can like you, you consider all the customization options. I know they were to- toying around with like 60 at one point and I was thinking, oh my word, can you imagine like yeah. 60 different oh, functions yeah. and stuff? But like, I think that would have been overwhelming. Mm-hmm. I think the cool thing is like the f- way that they do, like the way that they managed to make it turn-based and active. And I think like when, the turn system actually clicked in for me is when and when you get a certain loadout like um one thing they brought up in the no click documentary is kind of like i think we all do this with action rpgs and i think that's like the wording that um amir roughly used um is that once we find a loadout we like we're comfortable with it and we stick with it but again like with bastion the game is kind of encouraging you to use all of these different loadouts because with every new function you get you get it 
after you come across a dead character or a character in the story has died. So these functions all give you like, and these functions all are loaded with that character's data and their memory. And the more you use it in different slots, the more information you get about those characters and the people of the, the setting, which is called Cloudbank. Um, so yeah, you're encouraged again, like with Bastion to experiment, but for narrative purposes, um, but you can play, you know, I, I get stuck to a sort of similar build most of the time, maybe just swapping some passives around. But I think it's really cool that, again, they don't really force you into any particular decision, but you can also do it if you want. That's absolutely and, right. And and, and, and we, we definitely have to get into cloud bank in the process. Uh, Eva? Yeah, and... And the narrative that is there with it, um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, data logs, but it is optional, but what's there is good. And I appreciate the fact that you do have to use it in these different slots to be able to get all of that information. You're going to be missing key parts of Sybil's story, or you're going to be missing uh, parts of the racer story or something like that, who gives you jaunt. It's really, I think it's really elegant in that way. And then with the gameplay, um, if you if you basically go down to zero health, you lose your function that has the highest um, number of points put into it. Right. And you lose it for, I think, basically two save points. They call it access points. And so that you can either just <laughs> go without having one of your function slots or you can try something different. And I found that even in a new game plus, I was still finding really great new combinations that I hadn't quite thought of before. And it made it uh, one of the best replays I've ever done. Yeah. Um, the, the way that each function is an NPC and, and, and customizing your functions to customize how you play the game and also giving you sort of a lore reward for doing so goes into that that thing that I was I was repeating myself saying over and over in, when we, in the Bastion episode that uh, Supergiant loves um, sort of having um, gameplay story and lore and, and and environment sort of interact like like you like putting time into one will enhance the value or get or sort of uh, or, or get you to better understand the others and like the, the, the like that triangle of systems interacting is was really powerful in Bastion and Transistor. Uh let's go let's uh, run it back a little bit. Um the setting of this area is a sort of a neo-noir futuristic city called Cloudbank and it's being corrupted by some kind of I mean it's definitely not a mystical thing but it's like some kind of curse or some kind of disaster called the process which is not the same as the calamity in Bastion. <laughs> the, the the process is like is is uh corrupting and transforming the sort of the, the sort of digitally powered cloud, cloud bank and turning ordinary people into monsters or ordinary objects into monsters or twisting them around in a in, in a strange way that um makes them look uh i mean, I mean t- turns them into sort of like uh geometric like photo negative warped things they're they're, they're not like they're not monstrosities in a in a fleshy way but monstrosities in like a in in in, in like a digital vector way if that makes sense yeah they, but, they but like build the city though don't they like they're they like they're the reason that um cloud bank like they're the surveyors but they they're also the reason the cloud bank essentially exists and the reason it can like 
part of the reason it can change the way it does. Um, they're from like a connected reality and they're controlled by part of the city. But I mean, we, we find out what they're controlled by. It's the, the transistor, I think. Right, right. The, the process is sort of an AI-powered program that makes Cloud Bank and is the foundation of Cloud Bank, but something corrupts it, which make which turns parts of Cloud Bank and its denizens into monsters or data or 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 some mis or some mysterious alternate reality thing. I'm I'm explaining it very poorly, <laughs> but but basically, but basically, just like the uh, the digital. The, the program, the sort of digital lifeblood that powers Cloud Bank has become corrupted. And uh, every time that um, red levels up or the transistor levels up um, and you get a function, a function, it, it's, I mean, it, it's a person from Cloud Bank. So, like, uh, it, like as you gain more skills, if you go into the, uh, what basically amounts to a, to a glossary or a codex and look and, and look at the different functions, you learn about the people uh, that they used to be, which we, we've, you know, we've already... Um, We've already mentioned to a degree, uh, but um, the main character Red is a singer who is a who loses her voice in an attack. Um, but then the sword used in the attack, the transistor, uh, sort of uh, Red picks it up and it becomes her guide through uh, through uh, Cloud Bank through her adventure. And Red cannot sing anymore, but the transistor. Uh, does talk quite a lot and is uh, and is voiced by Logan Cunningham, the voice of uh, the stranger from Bastion, and and he serves as the sort of the the almost like a second person narrator in the uh, throughout the, the throughout the story of the game because it's it's not a sort of disembodied near omniscient voice like in Bastion. It's a it, uh, the, in its narration, uh, the transistor is talking to Red. And and using the second person you, which again it makes me feel like the it's, it's a second person narration, which I think really works here, but is a little bit unusual in storytelling. Um, oh shoot, there's a there's a wonderful short story about an office tour, uh, that is the best that was written entirely in the second person, and it's my favorite second person story ever written. Um, I don't know what it is, but I'd love to read that. I may have done. One of the things that um I think is really interesting about the functions is that. As you have these NPCs in them, it's kind of their souls that are in there, but they're objectified um, in a way. And not in like objectified in terms of like a gaze, but objectified as in literal objects. They're things that you're swapping in and out of uh, yeah. your out of your sword, who is also um, your lover, <laughs> like, or, you know, it's someone that you're very close to. And so <laughs> I, I love that in this... Um, this possibly slash probably artificial world, even the people are objects in some sort of way. And I, I think that's a really interesting narrative thread that kind of goes through the entire game. I mean, even the transistor, the like he's got a function, hasn't he? Like the person, the, like who the man, I think he's just called the man or question mark, isn't he? Like he, he's, he's, he's never given a name. We only know him as the transistor, but yeah. we understand that he was once a man. Yeah, like... Mm -hmm. Even like even when we're talking about him, like we call him the transistor, like he's mm -hmm. not because he's not got a name. So yeah, it goes right down to that. But yeah, it's a really interesting narrative thread that uh, you know people people are commodified and people are just things too that do things in cloud bank, and that's what they're known for essentially as well. So yeah, I remember seeing uh, I think it was in the no clip documentary that we keep bringing up. It's very good. You should check it out. Um, that uh, the main character, they'd originally had this boxer 
and that the sword was and that the sword was going to be um his girlfriend yes. and i'm there's still some weirdness to there's still some weirdness to having this um you know uh embodied uh protagonist and kind of supporting object in a way but i'm glad that they chose dead boyfriend sword rather than dead girlfriend sword you know mm-hmm. Yeah, and, me too. And it's slightly more com- complicated than dead boyfriend sword. It's like it's like uh, um, dead ex lover who has a lot of regrets and is and feels bad for how they broke up. Sword. Well, it's never really painted out, is it? Ever? No, like, it's no, never no. confirmed what they're actually. I mean, it, they are they are in a relationship of some kind or have been, mm-hmm. but the, the game never goes. These two were in love, or these two are odd together but there's so much implication and like bouncing off of that like does anyone just melt when um logan cunningham ever just says red or don't let me go or hang in there red like the way he says that i'm Uh, like yeah i'm like putting in his hands when he says that yeah it's a tone of maybe not desperation but a tone of genuine caring mm. that is that that is really communicated strongly again logan, logan cunningham maybe the front either he or darren corb is the front facing star of, of of super giant games and i mean they think they, they could pick two better people holy crap that, that must have been a cool apartment to live in 10 years ago <laughs> yeah right um but yeah, anyway, I found the short story I was trying to think of before. It's called Orientation by Daniel Orozco, and oh. it's a uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's a, a, an office employee on his first day getting a lecture on the office politics and office layout by a more by a veteran employee, entirely told in the second person. It's it's very short. You can read it in probably ten minutes. But I I I, I read that's one of those short stories that, that I sort of read once a year beca- or uh, once every couple of years because it affected me so much. That and uh. But but my favorite um my my favorite book of short stories is Jesus Son by Dennis Johnson, which was made into a very good movie about twenty years ago. So uh, uh yeah um shout out literature I guess. But um back to Transistor, um a game told mostly in the second person with a uh, uh the, the main character is a woman named Red who cannot speak who has a dead boyfriend sword who speaks a lot, and uh, a lot of the people in this game are sort of towing the line between. Objects and people and functions or powers that you keep in your sword. And the one thing about the transistor is that it's other than the process itself, it's the one thing that can manipulate the process and damage the process. Like conventional weaponry won't work on these monsters being created by the corrupted code, but the transistor has the power to destroy or change them. And uh, talking about functions, do we, um, let's each mention one or two either functions or, or a combination of them that you really used a lot or really enjoyed. Uh, I'll, I'll go first, give you a minute to, to maybe look up a list or, or, or gather your thoughts. Um, after I had gained a couple levels and had sort of figured out the game a lot, of course, everyone's, everyone who, everyone who can actually make it through to the end of this game uses jaunt at least a little bit. Cause jaunt is sort of your short dash mm-hmm. that is m- probably used mostly as an escape um, and, and like, even like, oh, I'm kind of surrounded. I need to get out of here. It's like, uh, go into turn mode, jaunt three times. Now I'm on the other side of the map and can regroup a little bit. But, um, the, the things I liked using the most was, I think one of, it's the, the, the second or third skill you get is spark, which is just a, a little quick, uh, like a little quick bomb toss. And then I, I combined spark and bounce to make the, um, the bomb toss make chain explosions. Oh, yeah. And then after I got, after I got load, I, uh, 
Lode basically just plants a mine that does a tremendous amount of damage. It sort of became attach bounce to load, attach uh, something that that increases range to spark, and then basically just drop load packets everywhere and then set them off with spark with spark and just make explosions or chain explosions happen all around. And I beat probably a full half to two thirds of the game doing that. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Uh, but, but again, we talked about how the active versus upgrade versus passive slots in this game create an almost limitless number of combinations. What, what was a combination that, uh, that either of you uh, particularly enjoyed? I really loved using cull in turn um, just cause it's, it's cumbersome and heavy, and um, in a lot of games, that's not my playstyle at all. Um, but because it has this turn, you know, this turn-based mechanic, I'm like, all right, let's do this. Let's let's hit with the big boy, and it's uh, it does so much damage, especially if you um, have the. It's a red power up. I can't remember quite the name of it, um, but it makes it even more powerful. Using jaunts is really good for getting out of trouble. And then using um, cloak mm. or shadow um, in conjunction with another function that I put in the passive slot, which allows you to regain health. So if you messed up in a situation, you know, you got in, you got in a little too deep, you jaunt your way out of there, you use cloak and you hide behind for a little bit. Um, but I don't like doing that too much because it does slow down the pace of the game. So that's really just my last resort sort of strategy. No. Yeah, I, I, I use Jaunt all the time for escapes, um, but, but attaching a healing function to it to gain some health back. I don't know if that ever if I ever figured that out. That's a really good idea. It's a good yes. one, yeah. Yes. Really good. And I, I, think, I think the cloaking function is called Mask. I'm, I'm looking at a, at a list yeah. of them to, to, to help me right now. Yeah, as you put it in passive, it's a mask, but um, it does other things as well. Because I had mask on, I had it on breach because I used breach for most of the game. Until I didn't get cull until later on because I know you can like, as you level up, you can sometimes you get a choice and you can pick what function you go for. And I was just kind of going with my gut, but like breach with mask, um, breach is the second one you get, and it's the long distance, really powerful slow shot. And mm. I put mask adds backstab damage, so I would go up use crash which stuns then i would turn on um the turn thing and then dash behind them and then i would shoot them a couple of times um but the other thing i did um because like either i didn't really want to slow down the pace of the game too much so i used turn kind of regularly but less so um i had ping which is the short like the really mm. quick um shot um and i put purge on it which does damage yes. over time yes um, yeah <laughs> It's so good. Um, I think I had Void on it as well, which might be the red one you're thinking of. Um, I think it's red. Um, yes. And yep. I think that, like, enhances the effects of Purge. So I was doing, like, damage over time at pretty high numbers with Ping. And then it also helps for, like, the bigger encounters where you've got, like, those... Oh, what are the worms called? Do you know what ones I mean? The ones that heal the enemies or put a, like, damage over time oh, shield on. yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I don't remember enemy names very well in this game. But yeah. I, I remember being really annoyed by the recurring ones in the last section. Yeah, and so I'd like shoot them off really quickly and then focus on whatever the big one was. But yeah, um, bounce I think was a bit of a given on a passive because it gives you that oh, yeah. gives you a shield. So that was a good one to have. And I had sport um spark as a passive as well because it creates like a decoy um so if i ever got hit it would spawn a decoy and then they would just focus on that for a little bit and then i could go around and maybe shoot them with ping or 
breach or something. So, yeah. Um, sp- Spark, I, I think, um, the one that, is, that creates a decoy I thought was help or... It might be, because Spark. Um, when you use Spark as an as an upgrade, it makes it usually doubles the attack. Like make, makes like makes like two of them. Oh, I had it on a passive. Oh, as a passive. Okay, as an upgrade, it it it, uh, it divides your functions as as a passive. Yes. It creates a copy. That's what it is. See, th- this game is crazy with its gameplay variety. It's um, really <laughs> thinking. Given that there's only like sixteen or however many functions there are, like the amount of detail and the fact that there's so many different combinations is kind of amazing, really. Like you're never going to get everything out of it until you, unless you do like a new game plus or what, whatever they call it. It's not called new game plus, is it? It's like it's, a recursion. <laughs> yep, recursion, and it's really it's really fun in recursion um, because you um, can still just keep getting. Um, you basically just get duplicates of the functions. Um, so if you don't want to use one of them, but you want to use one of them twice, and like you want to use one as a an active slot and one is a passive. Oh, um, so, you, it, so you can trade in unused functions for a copy of one you already have and mess around that way. You don't even need to trade it in. Like just as you're <laughs> going through, just as you're going through recursion, you just get them. So oh, okay. So mm. it, it, it res- does it reset your level, or does you just continuing level beyond uh, continuing to level beyond twenty or whatever the number is? You just you just continue to level, um, but then you can you know you can put like in Bastion. Um, you can put modifiers on. So I put on two or three to make the enemies a little tougher, um, just so it wasn't a cakewalk. Um, and that made it, it was, it was very fun to have that because then I really had to be thinking outside of the box and I was frequently losing functions and being like, <laughs> okay, I have to, I have to do a new one. I have to do a new one every, I know, you know, 20 minutes or something, um, which in another game, uh, would have been annoying, but um, you know, in recursion, I think total it still only took me like six hours to do a full playthrough on recursion. So, and and normally this is not a this is already not a long game. It's perhaps four or five hours. Yeah, I think it took me like nine the first time I played it though, because I was uh, messing around in the uh, the uh, beach. That oh, the sandbox. Yeah. yeah. Sandbox. Oh yes. yes. Yeah, uh, the sandbox is a sort of a uh, a separate dimension where, at a save point, you can visit to um, to deal in function specific challenges or challenges of a specific type, like you know your your, your horde mode or your time trial, uh, things like that. And uh, it's again, um, super giant are the kings of gameplay customization and experience <laughs> customization. Uh, because I mean, what Eva was just describing with how um, the recursion system allows you to add challenge or customize your gameplay experience with copies of functions—that is, I, I didn't know any of that. That is awesome. Um, and uh, and like uh, Alana was mentioning, two uh, of the functions she used, um, void and purge. Void is basically like a lower enemy defense uh, status, and purge is more like a poison enemy status. I had those as upgrades to my major skills. Um, for al- almost the entire uh, last act of the game, because yeah. I, I sort of immediately get dealt. Oh, that's what these are for. I, 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 I have some new gameplay ideas now. But <laughs> for, uh, I, I should do an actual count so we actually know if it's sixteen or not. Um, yeah, I'll indicate it's sixteen. So for sixteen um, functions, to each have three effects, and like, and having and being able to mix and match them in so many ways is. An awesome level of gameplay variety, and that each of them is attached to a 
NPC that you can learn about in the game's codex. All of that is so cool. <laughs> and, yes. and once you figure, and once you figure out Transistor and, and get comfortable playing it, it is just a, it, it is just like going to a candy store of all of these cool gameplay ideas. It, it's so brilliant in that. And as opposed to, you know, you know, Solosi, a game we may have played, you know, a couple episodes ago when we were talking about things that are unified and things that are all fitting together and aren't just yeah. assets slapped together to make a game. Um, this game has that. It's so, it feels so, it, it feels like it has this connective thread that touches every part of it. It feels so meticulously crafted in how the uh, the systems are, are interact within each other, and how every every gameplay idea has a purpose that, that so the player can can sort of make this experience exactly how they want to make it at least moment to moment gameplay wise, and not necessarily in the story, as opposed to being a game that has a few ideas and then they filled in the the empty space with with just with fluff. This is not a fluffy game. This is a game that is. That, that that is just meticulous and 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 beautiful and awesome. Uh, let maybe let's talk about the story a little bit. The first boss of the game is a is a woman named Sybil that's been transformed into a process monster. And Sybil's a member of the Camarada, which is a, a a cabal of four people that engineered this process corruption. So they can eventually you learn that they want to sort of destroy Cloud Bank and then remake it exactly how they want to make it as its new sort of ruling council. Um, when everything changes, nothing changes, right? Right, and and but it, things don't go as planned, and now we're in this in the middle of this disaster. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and Sybil's sort of a, she's sort of a, a normal enemy, like like just a, like a heavily armed and armored one. That uh, that's maybe she's a quarter or a third of the way into the game, but when uh, but when she enters your transistor, and you can and and you I forget what what function she gives you, and you can uh, look at. Uh, you you can look at her backstory it seems that she was in love with red and um mm-hmm. and and uh like intended to kill uh your lover that's in the transistor now and you know things things go badly and now she's sort of uh, uh like acting out in rage as a as a result of being absorbed by the process and it's like she's a an almost an almost faceless npc that uh that is only oh she's the woman in the group of four bad guys <laughs> and it, but and, and just takes on layers of 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 a much much more interesting role of uh, when you go into the transistor and sort of look into uh the the faces behind the functions Right, yeah. And um, another thing that's really interesting about Sybil is that um, I think she's the only one of the Camerata, or certainly one of the only ones of the bosses. Um, uh, she's the only one that has a vocal piece as her boss music. Um, it's uh, In Circles, which is one of the five or six um, songs written by Darren Corb and sung by Ashley Barrett. And um, mm. the song itself goes through the emotions that Sybil and Red were having when Sybil was... Like it's an um, it, the song is ultimately about Sybil's unrequired love for Red and Red. Um, the really fun thing about the music in this game is that in game Red wrote all of these songs. So the spine, we all become one. Paper boats, signals. She wrote all of them. Uh, paper, but paper Darren. boats is my favorite. Uh, guaranteed. Paper boats is great. Yeah, guaranteed. Paper boats will be either the opener or the ender of this song, of this episode. <laughs> I, ha- I haven't decided yet. But uh, it, and and also um, to be a little bit more specific, Red is a nightclub singer and. The, the the sort of future noir uh, a- um, a- aesthetic of Transistor 
sort of makes her uh, like I mean like in a way she's sort of the femme fatale, the late the lady in red, and the transistor is the detective hero, but but with those roles not exactly flipped, but uh, but warped a little bit because they, they, just because of like the dimly lit uh, colors of the city. Just, I, I think they wanted to communicate a little bit of a noir film feeling. Uh, yeah, it's cyber noir. It's 1920s, isn't it? Like right. even the music carries that like 1920s French style with like the heavy synth electro pop times. It's so cool. Yeah. Um, it, it, the, the, both the visual flair and and the audio flair of that uh, of like like I mean I don't want you I mean what kind of made up words are we going to use to describe it neo noir uh post rock uh it's, oh, it's I had it written down um, i don't have it in front of me what darren's called fu- it <laughs> future lounge it's i feel like darren corb like sort of evolves different genres of music with every game soundtrack he composes the uh visually and musically this game is an absolute stunner it is i oh, I, I, I i um i actually did own this soundtrack before the replay of of transistor and and had been listening to it for a couple of years so before i finally got around to finishing it a few months ago i knew the soundtrack better than the game by a large margin oh yeah me too but yeah um in circles like in the actual lyrics like sybil is supposed to because it talks about um a fly on the wall uh, flying in circles just trying to land i see you hurting i do what i can it's supposed to be sybil like trying to connect with red and red trying to help her but red obviously not like returning these feelings um so like the first half of the song is like red being aware of this infatuation and trying to calm her down and the second half of it is supposed to be sybil falling into a depression and then red like tries to give um, some advice to her um but yeah um what i find really interesting about the lyric songs in particular for this game um is that even though the transistor is kind of the second-hand narrator, um, all these songs that Red has written, they are basically telling the story of the game, all of them, at different points. Because what you will become is the song that plays when you have the flashback, when you find out what happened to Red and uh, the man. And it's it goes through the whole, like, oh, you know, um, she's singing and then he gets stabbed and it talks about stab pains and wounds and things. And then it talks about them running away together with the transistor. So it's so interesting. I'm just, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I love this soundtrack so much. It just does so many interesting things. It is, and it's an incredible soundtrack and it's just, you know, Bastion was already a, a pretty great soundtrack, as we had talked about before. This one's just, I think it's even better. And it, it a lot of things in Transistor just feel like a step up, um, but not quite in the ways that you expect a lot of times. Like the design of the world is more simplified. And I think it's kind of, it's still a very colorful game, but it's not as vibrantly colorful. It's got more of a luster about it rather than, just kind of a, a tropical sensibility. And there's so many things about this game that are um, that feel um, more revolutionary than evolutionary than over Bastion. And I think it's a really brave game in that aspect as well. And um, you know for for a 2014 for a 2014 game, it also has kind of more it's quiet about it, but it has more queer characters than you'd expect, too, because you have um, 
you have Sybil, who it's you know who seems to be in love with Red. Um, you have two of the um, the antagonists, the Kendrills, um, who mm-hmm. are who, who, are, who are, are, are are two men who are married partners. Right, exactly. And mm-hmm. there's one of the functions that really doesn't get talked about at all um, that I didn't even notice the first playthrough. Uh, Bailey um, goes by uses she her pronouns, but if you look in the um, in the function. It actually says gender X instead of M or F for it, oh. um, which I thought was very interesting as well. So I think they're trying to say that Bailey is a non-binary woman, and it's really cool to it's really cool to see that. Right? Yeah, I didn't even notice that. It might have been I because I'm missing like one function. I think so. It might be that one that I'm missing. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is really progressive in a quiet way that. I really appreciate like it's like this is this is how I would like it I wish we were like this like now like I wish we didn't you know what I mean like I wish this was the point we were at consistently yeah I I mean I I think that and now I'm I'm saying this as a heteronormative male so I mean you might you might need to empty the whole salt shaker on this instead of just taking (laughs) a grain um but I, I think that I, I always like seeing normalized queerness in in media, like like uh, like uh, something like a, a trans ca- character or any kind of LGBT character, but not having their queerness framed as a struggle or as a tragedy, but just as part of them that's normal and accepted. Which, which is why I, uh, 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 Alana, this is a game that you and I both love. Um, oh my god, why can't I think of it? Time spinner. Time spinner. Yeah, like all, all of the character relationship and relationship stuff in in Time Spinner just like made tears come into my come to my eyes for just how lovely it so was, cool. and uh, and for um, multiple characters to be uh, to be NB or in a or in a uh, a non hetero relationship and just have that be a normal part of the game and and not something that's that's dark or a struggle or a problem is just great. And they, they don't draw attention to it in a way that is like lighting a flare in the sky. They draw attention to it by just having it be a normal part of the world. And that's, that's something I always love to see. And, um, and Eva, you were talking about the aesthetic of this game versus Bastion and referring to Bastions as tropical. And, uh, I, I think that like Bastion, I, I think that's that sound and Bastion is just like trying to be colorful and always throwing combinations of colors at you mm-hmm. while transistor is more like, Oh, it's, it's, it's like the, uh, it's, it's like the Edward Hopper painting Nighthawks where it's yeah. a it scene at, at night with bright colors, illuminating neon signs. But, but, but like what isn't lit by a neon sign is sort of dark and murky in a way that's, I don't, it's, it's so pretty. This is a very beautiful game to behold, even in the end game where the process is sort of taking over and, um, the, the, there's a lot of stark blacks and whites and, uh, and, and angled lines as the color pi- palette. It, it's, uh, it, it, visually an extremely successful game. But uh, talking about successful visuals, maybe my favorite part of the game, or, or, you know, scratch that, uh, my favorite part of the game, my two favorite parts of the game happen at the very end, but my, my other favorite part that happens in the middle is just a visually striking boss battle. Um, uh, the, the, sort of the, the, a large section of the game after the civil boss fight, uh, you're going up a building because you know that the camarada are headquartered at the top floor, and you're being accosted by an enemy called the Spine, which appears to be like a giant, 
I mean, a giant worm or serpent or monster that I, I and I, I had to ask you of this before we started recording to figure out what the spine was. We th- we think it's an entire building or maybe uh, like a subway train or something that had been transformed by the process into a giant monster. And so you're fighting segments of the spine or or like uh, eventually the the head of the spine, like a giant monster battle or a kaiju battle or you know a knight fighting. A, a dragon in multiple stages in a way that is so impressive. It it is maybe the coolest extended stretch of the game. The spine is amazing, and the, and its music theme is cool too. Yeah, it's really. I mean, it's it's really terrifying when it pops up because the the screen shakes a bit when it hits, kind of like the um uh, the gators and Bastion, and it's. I mean, it's terrifying. You're not sure which direction it's going to come from, and it's. Um, kind of unknowable in a way because it just doesn't it only has a few um, distinct visual elements about it it's very simplistic in its design which I think makes it all the more terrifying because it's abstracted like that yeah and yeah it's so huge that you only see a tiny piece of it at a time so in, in a way it is unfathomable or unknowable and you're basically going up a skyscraper as this giant serpentine monsters coiling around the skyscraper it's a it, it's a, an amazing uh visual effect for i i would say a uh a few connected stages and then the boss fight at the head yeah definitely you go inside it don't you i think that's a really cool thing after you beat it you go inside it to actually like stab it in the heart that's another reference pulled out of um the spine the song that you were referring to which is probably my favorite song the spine i don't know it just it's, I think it's because where it first plays is when you go to the poster in the like in the plaza and then the transistor is like red look it's you on the wall and then they're like and then he's they like tell you what happened and it's like oh we took something of theirs and I just had chills in that moment and then when I heard it play again a little bit later on just before this boss fight I was like so this is what it's referring to um the spine as well because it's such a large process and I can only assume it's because it's a process um it screws up the transistor quite a bit mm. and um uh, the voice starts slurring a lot and it's a genuinely really uncomfortable moment because you know you're being guided by this voice or being accompanied by this voice but in those moments i was thinking well what happens if the voice stops and like he sounds genuinely terrified he sounds drunk as well but that's kind of the point of it um but yeah like it's just such a visually impressive uh, creature and um if you beat the when you beat the spine and you go into if you go into the sandbox straight afterwards um the transistor says well i hope there's only one of them and <laughs> later on there are more um in the bit where you leave i think it's bracket towers after you've met grant and asha kendrell um uh once you leave the building as you're going through the air there's loads of them like floating in the background um so you can only assume that this is you know that's the hint that the process have really started to take over because they've probably taken over a bunch of large buildings so yeah it's it's such a cool moment when you fight that boss it's so awesome and um after you fight the boss you get to the uh the top floor of bracket tower um and you see that uh Royce and Asher Kendrell I'm I'm I'm, I'm sorry no Gr- Asher and Grant Kendrell Royce is a different guy uh Asher and Grant Ken- Kendrell have sort of uh in horror of what they've done and and maybe also for fear of repercussion they they've uh, they've committed um suicide together uh which is, you know, a, a, a dark, unsettling moment I um, th- that you, you don't get a boss battle for it, but uh, is the moment that sort of takes you into the final act of the game. 
I was going to say, like, climbing that tower is really interesting because as you're climbing up it, you have to take um, loads of, like, terminal, like, voicemails from, mm. I think it's Asher, isn't it? And um, I keep wanting to say Thanatos because it's the same voice actor. Um, <laughs> and, um, yeah, like, he talks you through. He's, like, delivering you messages and going, like, oh, I'm up at the top of the tower. And he starts off a little bit antagonistic. But the further up you get, the more he comes to realize that actually, you know, oh my God, what have I done kind of thing. And it's a really interesting thread of like the like messages. And you reply to each of these as well. Like just saying like, what are you doing? Like, why are you lying to me kind of thing? And yeah, it's very, very cool. I love going up that tower. It was so interesting. And and not just in the tower, but throughout the game, you find terminals that'll, uh, that, and you'll, there'll be things like personal emails from NPCs or uh, citywide announcements telling people to evacuate for the process or not to worry about the process. Or uh, <laughs> it, it, a, a lot of it is, you know, evidence of a cover-up. But uh, mm-hmm. d- d- there's a lot more. There's a lot of game. Uh, I should say, lore interest in all of the um, in all of the optional writing that you find uh, th- scattered throughout the game. It's a. Uh, it, it really shapes uh, Cloud Bank into an an extremely interesting setting. But uh, the, the final act of the game, after you uh, find the Kendrill's dead, you're, you're tr- sort of tr- chasing down Royce Brackett, the uh, sort of the technical mastermind behind the Camerata, uh, into part of the city that is really completely um, wiped by the process. It's a, it's, it's all, it feels almost skeletal in how it's, uh, in how it's black and white. It's only in blacks and whites, and it's sort of empty feeling after uh, Cloud Bank is so beautiful and colorful for most of the game. Uh, and, and it culminates in a boss fight against Royce that is one of my other favorite parts of the game. I, I am so excited to talk about this. You sort of <laughs> you, you realize that you, if you set the transistor in a certain place, you, you can halt the, uh, the process corruption and maybe start to rebuild the world. But the transistor sucks Red and Royce into itself. And then you find yourself in a sort of a void space with both Red and Royce wielding their own transistor. And it's a, uh, it's a transistor wielder versus transistor wielder battle in which Royce can even use turn and all of the same processes that you can use. And it is so cool. It's, oh my God. And I think he start he, I, I think he starts off the fight mm-hmm. by saying like, mind if I go first or something. And, and, so, and yeah. when he and immediately goes, goes into a turn. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, exactly. And you're like, well, what do you mean? And then he, you know, immediately clicks into that and, and, you know, even playing through it a second time, I knew he was going to do it. So my jaw still dropped because you go through this entire game where no one else is using the turn. You have this sense of superiority over everything. The enemies might be tough, but they can't just pause time like you can. And here, he's getting the jump on you with your own powers. Oh, it's oh, it's so satisfying. I love it. It is by far the coolest encounter from a gameplay perspective in the game. Uh, the uh, I think the spine is more visually striking, but uh, the boss fight against Royce was so great that it's like, oh, oh man, I know, I know this is special because it's the final boss. But I sort of wish there was like four of these in the game because they because it was so cool. <laughs> well, yeah, just like using your own weapons using your own tools against you is like one of the best things any video game can do i think oh yeah 
you're so used to what you've got and then all of a sudden someone's got exactly the same thing as you it's like it's like shadow link isn't it in ocarina of time <laughs> oh, I, I was thinking of the uh of the handful of dante versus virgil fights we've gotten over multiple devil may cry games it's like it, it's that's a more appropriate reference for me yes. yeah it, it, i mean it's cool <laughs> fighting a bunch of giant demons but may, it, it's like there's a different intimacy and a different level of cool when you're fighting someone that's the same size as, as you with the same or similar powers as you that that's it's a it's an entirely different dynamic um but there's so much at stake as well like mm-hmm. because well i mean by this point i think you know don't you because in the area beforehand royce was following you around as like a terminal wasn't he he was like guiding you through the like um, processed area and he tells you it might be somebody else i don't know he tells you that you can't get the man out of the sword like the the trend the, your your partner your lover or whatever he's trapped in there forever there's no way you'll ever get him out he's gone to what i'm assuming is like heaven but they call it the country don't they mm-hmm. um or like mm-hmm. the equivalent of the afterlife or something and it's, like, it's, it's like he's been made into disembodied data and can never yeah. be reloaded into a person again that's right yeah that's a good way of putting it um but yeah so you've got all this built-up anger that you've been brought through the whole game to think oh okay i'm gonna save the person um and get ready back to her normal life but she's not going to do that and now she's being given the ability to go well if you win this fight well you have the power to change everything at your own will essentially so yeah you've got to she's got to make that decision and it's just such a powerful really good fight and how they kind of get there with the camarada's aims i mean the the camarada it's it's difficult to kind of parse this out. And even after a couple of playthroughs, I still find myself with questions as to what exactly the story was trying to say. Um, but it's really hinging on what exactly democracy is and how to kind of carry that out. Um, early on in the game, um, the transistor makes a note when they're at a terminal that there's a... Um, that there's a vote and it says like I know blue skies or partly cloudy or something and he goes well rain's not even on the ballot and it's like the leaders it hadn't even occurred to them that maybe some people do like rain and as you're walking through this area with bracket and he's kind of just talking at you just repeating things talking at you um you realize that he just could not keep up with popular whim. He wasn't really in, he was trying to keep in step with what people were trying to say and what they wanted out of cloud bank. And he felt he couldn't really do that. And the Kendrills felt the same way. Um, Grant Kendrill was a very experienced politician who it said he held basically every different position that there was um, despite whatever he may have personally wanted. And it, it really plays with that idea of how to function as um, people with ideologies in a democracy that I think is extremely relevant. And yeah. I, 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 I agree, but I didn't think of this necessarily as a democracy. I, I thought of cloud bank being like a shareware city or, oh, or right. a wiki city. Like it's, a, it's, it, it's a uh, it's a space that powered by this the, this technology called the process is built and rebuilt and shaped by um, by the input of everyone and uh, the camarada uh, like many a supervillain wanted to remake it in their own image 
or uh, and and maybe they're guided by some by some twisted ideology that makes sense only to them but like, but I, I think like Royce being a being a programmer or an engineer uh like w- wanted a m- more elegance and structure to the city and uh, and and um, Grant maybe being a a greedy politician of sorts believes he knows better than the common man how to run a city and and, and like those ideas sort of running together created the camarada and the idea to um rebuild the city to their specification which is uh, again that's some supervillain stuff and some oligarch slash despot versus democracy uh r- r- rule of rule of the people um idea but i i thought of it as you know like like a like true shareware versus one stubborn programmer who believes that on, that he is the only one with the answer. Yeah, there's a quip, isn't there? Because um, that one of the terminals you can change the color of the sky, can't you? And you see mm. the effect of it in the sandbox. Um, I think you can change it to like green, red, purple, <laughs> or blue, or something. And I think that's really, um, really cool. And I think one of the camarata, and I can't remember who it is makes a like comment about that there's like oh they can change that if even if they, they can do everything they can change whatever they want even right down to the color of the sky and actually on the thing with the rain terminal and i can't remember whether it's before you go and fight royce or after when you've beaten him there is another terminal and you can make it rain and i can't rem- i'm annoyed i can't remember the specifics because it would be really interesting I I don't remember that either. Yeah, it would be really interesting because obviously where the term, where you said either, like the terminal bit where the transistor's like, well, the, there's no option to have rain. Now there is. Like, who's responsible for that? Is that because you have the transistor and you can, as they say in the game, you have the brush, the um, clown bank is the canvas, essentially. Um, do you have the power to do that now? Or is that something that somebody else has programmed in? I I wish I'd double check that, actually. Mm-hmm. And after you beat Royce, it doesn't show you necessarily rebuild all of Cloud Bank. Um, the Camerata is gone. The uh, the monsters of the process seem gone. And Red either either restores the city or at least restores part of it. I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure. But the, the real moment of drama is um, she walks down a sort of a pathway. It, it, it's beautiful and colorful and sort sort of like um, fitting more idea more in with the Cloud Bank of old, and then. I get um to the protests of the man inside the transistor. She stabs herself with the sword and then enters the sword. And the final scene is her and uh and, and a man shown in either in profile or from the rear, um s- sort of standing in a in a large meadow, which is the presumed country or you know n- you know the, the the void within the transistor. And so so like rather than rebuild the world or rule the world or stay in the world she's um she she's joining him in there and that's a uh, i mean i i don't love i don't love endings that end in um in suicide but this is a you know a, a very uh a very emotional tragic um final note to end on she chose rain yeah i mean that's you know the the mm-hmm. the, the refrain that kind of kept going through the game um, repeated was the sky looks blue because we wanted to and red kind of I see it as red kind of rejecting that and kind of with having this power after beating the final boss she's presented a terminal with a binary option and um, and she chooses neither (laughs) and she chooses to make her chooses to make her own way free from 
whatever the camarada had thought she would or what they wanted her to do. Yeah, and ultimately, like, it's never mm. going to be the same anyway because all of those people are in the transistor dead, aren't they? So it's like she doesn't really have, even though she's got this blank canvas to do whatever she wants with, like, she's lost everything. Like, she's lost the people of the city, she's lost her voice, she's lost, she gets her voice back once she takes the sword. Um, yeah, um, I mean... I could see it coming probably right from the start that she was gonna commit suicide most I probably because I immediately got the assumption that there was some kind of relationship in there and I thought like well surely he can't get out of the sword but I do think it, it, it was it still made me cry um and it is really interesting for the reasons that Eva said like she's rejecting this whole like this power and everything you know everything she's been given for her own choice which is you know what she wanted just to go back to normal with presumably her partner and go to the country and she does get a line of dialogue as well she gets one small high that's it <laughs> and that's and that's <laughs> all she she gets and um having that sort of having that agency um i was listening to a um i was listening to a watch out for fireballs podcast and someone had um emailed into the show talking about kind of how um, there's this idea of like killing labels that's brought up and mm -hmm. how the Kendrels kind of make that. And they, what the person had said in it was what happens when white male rich queers dream about killing labels and making a better world, but forgetting about the rest of us. And it feels like red taking that back and being like, you're not going mm -hmm. to, forget about me because I'm able to take control of my life again. My voice is back and I can do whatever I want with it. Yeah, pretty much. There's a really interesting line in her bio, actually, um, that I remember reading. I misread it the first time. Um, and it says that she never intended for her voice to be either, oh, like, cause a rebellion or cause, like, problems. But this is her, like grabbing that voice back and saying no you know what i'm gonna use my voice to do what i want to do kind of thing i i don't know if i want to say open-ended necessarily but it is uh it, it's an ending or the ending of transistor and the themes of transistor in, in invite a lot of interesting questions it's similar to the end of bastion that uh I, I i'm not sure what to think about this ending other than i think it's just so so beautiful and sad in, in in the way of a, a lot of great uh, of, of, a, of a lot of, a lot of great movies about uh, about loss. It is, and I'm I'm glad she got her freedom in her way in her own choice, I suppose. But yeah, it is very sad the way that she had to do it. Do you know what movie this reminds me of? And um, it's also a play. And forgive me if you if uh, if if you haven't seen or, or seen it before. Um, there's a, a I've only seen the movie version, but it's a uh, it has Barbara Stanwyck and William Holden in it, who are a very very handsome couple in the in the 1940s. Um, called Golden Boy, mm -hmm. and it is completely unrelated to the monk, to the <laughs> anime Golden Boy. <laughs> oh I'm just going to throw that out there. Going to going to throw that out there immediately. <laughs> but um, it, it, it's about a man who's a brilliant violinist. And also uh, a, a brilliant uh, prize fighter, and he wants to. And like after he wins his first fight, he wants to settle down and be a violinist. After he got some money, but he gets mixed up with the mob and is encouraged to to 
to continue fighting and and be a musician later in his life. But um, he breaks a hand in one fight, making him unable to play the violin ever again. And uh, and and but that gets him sort of sinking deeper in with the mob and in with boxing. And he uh, he he makes a lot of money. But uh, after accidentally killing someone in the ring, um, he uh, and and being and being you know definitely not having a career anymore and not having a, a music career anymore, eventually uh, goes off for a drive and dies in a car accident, implying that in, implying that it was uh, that it was an intentional um, suicide by car. So it's just like like losing your power of music to and and being forced into. In, in, into a into a, a struggle with fighting and ultimately losing everything, I, I don't know. It, that that's a noir movie from the late '30s or early '40s, and and that was just the vibe that uh, that I, I felt from this game. Just uh, like a, a very specific, um, like a very specific visual and musical idea that that ultimately results in sort of everyone losing and find and finding peace that way. It's it, it, it's it's dark and sad. And weird, but I really like it. And it's, yeah, uh, I don't think the anime Golden Boy is based on that play. Nope, don't think so. Are you sure? I... I'm pretty sure. Okay, uh, well, we'll fact check you on that afterwards. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, but but the movie the movie version with uh, with Barbara Sandwick and William Holden is really good. But okay, if I'm talking about uh, about noir films from the 1930s, maybe it's time to end the episode. Uh, uh, thank you so much, listeners, for joining us on our Transistor journey. Um, this is a really, really good game. I am not sure if I like it more than Bastion or not, uh, because I just, I just, I think I liked the weapon selection and the basics of action in Bastion a little more than the turn system in Transistor. But, but Transistor is such a beautiful, elegant game in other ways that I, I'm, I'm not calling Bastion the winner either. Uh, I think both of these games are excellent and worth playing. Um, uh, but and and for for some of the same reasons and some different reasons. But uh, either way, it comes highly recommended. I am thrilled that I I've played Bastion through to the. I'm sorry that I played Transistor through to the end uh, for the first time earlier this year and had so much fun with it. And thank you so much, Eva and Alana, for joining me and talking about it. I, uh, I I am always always down to talk about cool, interesting video games with my friends. And today is not an exception in the least. <laughs> Yeah, I'm me glad too. to be here. Great. Yeah, me too. And I'm excited to um to continue with uh, more of Supergiant Games Month because I have also this is my first time playing Pyre, and uh, I am I'm I don't know maybe halfway through, but having a hell of a time with it. Another game that is musically and visually brilliant and fitting with the Supergiant aesthetic. But uh, we will uh, the, I think all three of us will be back to talk about um Pyre next week. And I could not be more excited to do it. I, I still have a couple hours to knock out in there. But uh, so far, I'm very encouraged by Pyre, especially everyone's favorite oh. uh, gremlin, Tizo. Oh, he's an Tizo. <laughs> Tizo is the real MVP. <laughs> and uh, there will be some Tizo gushing one in one week from now when we talk about Pyre. But also coming in December, we are we have our year in, our oh, excuse me our year in review episode that we hold every year where we're going to talk about uh, the games and game experiences of 2020, uh, and that's always uh, fun to record. And that's coming right after Pyre. And in January, we have all four episodes planned out. We're doing two episodes in, on Baten Kaitos, which won a listener poll that we held right around episode 250, and also. Um, 
uh, selfishly on this podcast, I like doing spoiler casts of uh, of my favorite recent games that I've played. And I'm going to hold up that tradition in January. We're having one episode dedicated to Yakuza Like a Dragon, the artist formerly known as Yakuza 7. And also an episode on Hades, continuing Supergiant Games Month with a January echo. Uh, Hades and, Yak- and Yakuza, I th- I'm not sure which one is first and which one is second, but they were my two favorite games of 2020. And I cannot wait to talk about both of them in early January. Alana, I think I think we've talked about Hades a lot together, and it's time to share it with our listening audience. I mean, it might have to be a maturity tag. Yeah, I think I might have to do the mature tag on definitely Hades, maybe also Yakuza 7. Uh, just because just there's a lot of profanity and a lot of punching dudes in the face in that game. Am I going to have to protect my virgin ears if I listen to that episode? <laughs> no comment. Um... <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> listeners, if you want to comment, the best way to do so is to email retro at rpgfan.com. Uh, I read that email that email address every week and respond to every email I receive. You can also comment on, RP- on RPG fans' message boards, visit the Facebook page, our Instagram page, our Twitter page, our Twitter account, our Discord server, our Twitch channel, something streaming almost every day on, on Twitch. And there's also uh, three other fine podcasts on rpgfan.com there is phoenix edge which is also weekly and uh, mostly focused on current events plus random encounter about randomness and rhythm encounter about rhythmness shout out our listener lucas green um you can also review uh, any of those four podcasts including retro encounter on itunes google play or whatever podcast listening venue you use we love feedback you give us feedback reviews help uh, more people finding the podcast please review um, but in case you want to review us as people, which is a dark implication of social media, um, where can you find us on social media? Uh, starting with you, Alana. I mean, I think people probably do that anyway. Um, but uh, if you want to find me, uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at, at Alana Hakes. Uh, you can find me on the RPG Fan Discord as well as Alana. Um, or if you want to email me, you can at Alana H at RPGFan.com. And Eva. You can find me on RPG Fan's general social media accounts on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can find me on my personals, usually on Twitter and Instagram as at Eva Lease. And listeners, if you want to find me on social media, the easiest way to do so is Twitter. I am at The Real Monsoon, most of the time at Evoker for Dogs, at other times way too active on both of those accounts. And I am also considerably less active, but still present on the RPG Fan Discord as Monsoon Mike. Thank you. Good night, and good luck. Seconds march into the past. Moments pass. Just like that. Find me. We are paper boats floating on a stream. It would seem we'll never be apart. I will always find you like it's written.